Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast <laughs> with, with your album nerds, Dude and Andy. Hey, Andy, what's going on, my man? What's up, buddy? Welcome to the show, everyone else. It is the Album Nerds Podcast. We talk about albums and the things we like about them. How you been doing, buddy? What's good in your world? Well, you know, preparations for all the holiday stuff, the end of the year stuff, trying to wrap up things at work. How about you, man? What's your, you know, listen to as much music as I can in between. What about you? Oh, as always, as always. Yeah, do you have a good, uh, good Thanksgiving? I, let's see, I ate turkey, I watched football, I helped clean the kitchen. So yeah, pretty typical stuff. Usual. Yeah, me too. Yeah, what me about too. you? Yeah, it was good. It was good. So now, cold. Uh, <laughs> do you, yeah, no kidding. Now, do you... Do you enjoy the tofurkey, or are you a tradition? Do you actually eat animals, or are you out of that game? No, I'm vegetarian, but we actually were debating that if you wanted to bring <laughs> a, a tofurkey or just eat like mashed potatoes and green beans instead. Ah, uh, so, yeah, don't bring a tofurkey to people's yeah, houses, man. It's kind of pretentious, right? I mean, it's yeah. Like, oh, yeah, thanks for inviting us, but we brought everything around right. food. Yeah, around. exactly. It's like bringing your own silverware yep. to a restaurant or something. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to roll with it. Yeah. It's part of life. And you don't want to. You don't want to have that conversation because then someone's going to go, why are you a vegetarian? And you have to explain yourself. Yeah, and just eat, yeah. it gets old. <laughs> it gets old quick. <laughs> I've been a vegetarian for a whole, not even a whole year, and I'm already sick of explaining oh. to everybody. <laughs> right. Well, I did eat turkey for you. <laughs> it is It is delicious. Especially yes. covered in gravy. Oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting hungry. Anyway, on the show today, we're... We're looking back, as we like to do on the show, to uh, 1994. Going to pick some of our favorite records from that year and take a little walk down memory lane. Yes. It's very 94 back. kind of music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like the future in 94. <laughs> now it's the past. And not at all like today. Uh, yes. So 1994, I think I was uh, 13 years old, a ripe old teenager. Yep. How, what grade were you in? I, were you in high school? I was, no, I was out of grades you by that of, point. You graduated at this point? No way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long. I was in my 20s, dude. Oh, uh, dude. Wow. <laughs> um. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good music back in in that era in '94. A lot of interesting and cool movies and TV shows too, and of course wacky stuff going on in the world. But as far as like TV goes, Friends was new in 1994. I've been watching that on Netflix a lot. Uh, ER was new. That was huge. My so-called life. Oh uh, yeah. So that was good. you know there was some yeah. Not only lasted a year, but it made a giant impact, which is really weird. But Touched by an Angel, which I'm sure was one of your favorites, was uh, also <laughs> started in 1994. Uh, brings back such good memories. My mom loved that show. I watched it with her once. It, it was it was unwatchable. Anyway, uh, so what else? You know, we had movies and stuff too. Pulp Fiction. That yeah, was a big one. That was that was my favorite from that year. Forrest Gump was uh, one best picture of the year, and uh, it was also yep. kind of revolutionary in terms of the cultural impact. Well, but but wait. 
Yeah. You didn't see Pulp Fiction then, did you? Like when you were 13? No. That couldn't be. That, was, that couldn't have been allowed. That was R-rated, right? I mean, that was not, I was too young for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was. Hey, man, I I was a, I was uh, technically a grown-up. I went and saw it like when it first came out, and it was a super crowded theater. Cool. I actually blacked out partway through the movie. It was so hot and crowded what? in there. What? Really? I passed out. I swear to God, yeah. Oh, wow. The part when he plunges the needle into her chest, uh, like I yeah. just lost. I woke up in a cold sweat. Just for a second, <laughs> I was out. It was really freaky. Yeah, that movie, it's still something I watch pretty regularly, along with a lot of the music that came out that year. It was it's still some stuff I go back and listen to pretty regularly. Yeah. Do you want to play a clip from... Uh from one of those classic scenes. What you say? I mean, this is this is the scene when uh, they're Jules and and uh, Vincent are driving along. You know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese. Oh man, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the fuck a quarter pounder is. And what do they call it? They call it uh, Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. <laughs> what do they call a Whopper? I don't know. I didn't go on a Burger King. That movie impacted the way people spoke. It impacted the way movies were written. I mean, just the whole, these two thugs are having a regular conversation. You never saw that before in a movie. So what was it? Who? who uh, Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. Yeah. yeah that was like so. a kind of breakthrough movie. And man, so many good quotes from that. Still uh, relevant in our culture today. Um, also in the news, besides those movies that uh, were pretty good we had uh the 25th anniversary of woodstock was that year um there's that oh, big God. uh festival kind of in honor of it and uh, down in like downstate new york um the first only playstation was released did you get one of those not until about 1999 <laughs> so uh yeah i mean i had new people that had it but i couldn't afford that kind of gear i didn't have time for video games i was too social then but now i <laughs> I play a lot oh, of video how things games. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, we also had some pretty dramatic stuff in the news happening. Uh, it was the Olympics that year, and we had that. Uh, remember that incident with uh, that guy who from Ta- Tanya Harden's uh, camp there attacked uh, Nancy Kerrigan yeah. with a bat. Galilli. Yes. Then uh, in the summertime, we had uh, OJ's wife and uh, Ron Goldman were mysteriously yeah. found murdered, and that whole Jeez. ordeal and the, the chase with the Bronco. Uh. And, Oh, my goodness. Not to mention uh, Tupac was shot and Kurt Cobain. He committed suicide. That was tragic. Yeah, that, that that was another huge impactful thing. I mean, that ended grunge. That Pretty kind much. of put the brakes on, on that. On that, It was really that whole subculture was taking off, and then it was being commercialized more and more, and that just kind of took the fire out of the rocket. Word. So. Yeah, crazy it was year. crazy. There was also a lot of good music that came out that year. Um, we had a big kind of, I guess, breakthrough record for Soundgarden, Super Unknown. My personal favorite, Tori Amos record, Under the Pink came out. Um, Beastie Boys, their huge record, Ill Communication. Nas is Illmatic, arguably best one, one of the best hip-hop records uh, of all time. And uh, a huge hip-hop record from, from Portishead came out, Dummy, which really kind of set that genre off. Yep. Don't forget, Pearl Jam had Vitology, which like a year after their last release, which was crazy at the time. The Downward Spiral, Nine yeah. Inch Nails, Dookie, Green Day, their big, their huge breakthrough that made them into stadium rockers, punk rockers, quote unquote. So, uh, yeah, a lot of good records. It was hard to choose. Weezer. Yeah. 
The Blue if Album like came Weezer. out that year. Pretty fucking good. But yeah, and there were also some misses. A band from Sweden by the name of Ace of Bass was super popular. I I listened to that, <laughs> I'll admit. They had this number one hit for six weeks, uh, The Sign. Question, what did she see? <laughs> I'm not really sure. I never really got that whole thing. <laughs> the sign. The sign. Yes. And it's talking about it's about driving okay. and you know it opened up her mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, total nonsense, but you know, it was really catchy, catchy beat. That's a fun record. I don't know. Yeah, I it was it was humongous. Humongous. It was on the charts for how long? Six weeks for that one. They had another track from there that was also yeah. Really popular. Uh, all that she wants is another baby. Yep, yeah, totally. Yeah, you were. Yeah, it was everywhere. They were. They were ABBA. <laughs> they were like ABBA of the nineties. Yeah. yeah. Now country music was also kind of coming up in in popular culture at that time. We're starting to cross over from uh, from the country and break into more of the mainstream culture. Yeah, I mean, you had your your uh, Garth Brookses and all of that stuff that had really brought country music to like stadium level, like almost like a Kiss show sort of level, where it was just getting there were huge acts in country music and not just pockets of like, oh, I like country. I mean, Garth. Brooks, everybody liked Garth Brooks. And so one of those artists that came along and is still around today, Tim McGraw, this I think was his second album. And the song that always really caught my ear because it was goofy as hell. I bet he doesn't do it live anymore, but he's still huge. He's huge business. So here's Tim McGraw, Indian Outlaw. I'm an Indian outlaw. Half Cherokee and Choctaw, my baby, she's a Chippewa, she's a one of a kind. All my friends call me Bear Claw. The village chicken is my papa, he gets his orders from my mama, she makes him walk the line. You can find me in my wigwam, I'll be beating on my tom tom, pull out the pipe and smoke your song. Oh my god, it's Wait, so is, bad. Is he Native American or is he just like. Uh... Where's all that? No, is that? I think it was just you know, so someone else wrote these songs, and I think it was just they were presented to him as, hey, this could be a a thing, and then at the end of it, they've got a kind of a medley of Cherokee people from I think it's Paul Revere and the Raiders that was a popular yeah. song in the seventies. So I think it was just supposed to be a, you know, it was a radio hit. It was a big hit. Um, I think it was just supposed to be kind of cowboy and talk about Native Americans and but the wigwam and the teepees and stuff. It's just completely Dude, insane that that, that today, existed. My people would be so. freaking out on Twitter about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I know. So that has always stuck in my mind. And when I started looking at uh, 94 and looking at albums yeah. and songs, I was just, I, I, I felt compelled to expose <laughs> you to that and the rest of our listeners as All well. Right. 
Well, as long as we're exposing people, why don't we expose people to a couple records that we are recommending? You know, kind of our favorite records from that year. We got two picked out. You want to mm-hmm. jump in to uh, your pick? You picked out a good one here, man. I was uh, I was impressed by this pick. I not a band I listen to a lot, but the more I've learned about them, the more intrigued I've become. Yes, thank you very much. The band is Kings X, and the album is Dogman. I believe it was their fifth album actually at this point uh they were they actually played at woodstock 94 they had uh they were on i think one of the main stages so they almost they were an almost an almost were type of a band um they had they were all uh, it's a three-piece with doug pinnock on bass guitar leading backing vocals uh, Jerry Gaskill, he's drums and percussion, backing and lead vocals, because they do a lot of harmonies together. And Ty Tabor, lead guitar, backing and lead vocals. They are an American rock band that combines progressive metal, funk, and soul with vocal arrangements that are influenced by gospel, the blues, and sort of beatle sort of um, harmonies. And their lyrics are largely about life, struggle with religion, self-acceptance, that kind of stuff. I guess they were ranked number 83 on VH1's 100 Greatest Artists of Hard Rock. They were originally on um, Christian labels and stuff. They were kind of touring with Christian artists, but they have often said that they were never a Christian band. Um, They may have Christian beliefs in their personal lives, but they're not overtly Christian. They're just kind of spiritual dudes. The records they made before Dogman were very melodic, progressive rock, um, even rushy in some ways, as well as uh, I guess they've got at least one concept album, Andy, Ooh. that we might have to explore. Yeah. Maybe in the future. So, yeah, they're just a really interesting band. I knew a guy at the time that loved them and was looking forward to this release and made me listen to it. A lot. So it came out in uh, 1994, obviously. And uh, it's as good today as it was then. It rocks hard. It's a great record. I just wanted to get your basic blush impression. What did you think of Dog It was man? cool, man. It was very cool. I was, uh, I was digging it, dog. Nice, nice. Yeah, and, and it was produced by Brendan O'Brien, who at the time was a big name. He had produced for Stuntable Pilots, Pearl Jam, uh, the list goes on at that time, The Black Crows, who also had a great album, 1994. Stuntable Pilots had a great album, 94, I think also produced by Brendan O'Brien. So he was trying to bring out their sound so that what they sounded like live, they're more, they were harder rocking band live than their mm-hmm. albums had previously sounded. So that was kind of what they were shooting for here. Um, so why don't we jump in and I want to play an example. This is track two. It's called Shoes. I want to play an example of a little bit of their harmony and then the more hard rock edge that comes in. It's a fun one. Check it out. There can be but better ways from yesterday's to me. Somewhere there are better days for better ways to be. Sunny days and funny ways of quieting the roar. Is it still a blessed thing to live and live some more? And I'm left with the truth. And I'm right in my mind. Giving sun of the time. So I love that interplay between that harmony and then the, you know, medley heavy bass riffage 
What did you think, think of you that said song? Prior to the show, it's like from Boys to Men to Metallica right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. At first, it's like, what am I listening to here? Like, la, 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 la. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, love I, it. I wasn't very familiar with the bands prior to this. Um, so I was, as I was listening to it, you know, it sounds like that time period. And I think probably a lot of it has to do with the production that you mentioned. Yeah, and it has like that Alice in Chains STP, yes. like that rawness to the bass and that heaviness to it, which sounds cool. I like that. You know, I don't know. The lyrics are a little bit kind of like vague. And I, yes. you know, I guess at times they, you know, it sounded like they were talking about, you know, like you said about what it means to be human and, and some of the problems that come along with that. But I don't know. They were kind of, they were so general and generic sounding there. Felt a little silly at times. I was like, eh, a little lukewarm on that side of it. But at the music, I thought it sounded really cool. Yeah, I also struggled sometimes when I tried to focus on the lyrics, particularly of the title track. Dogman. Dogman, yeah. which I absolutely yeah. love that song. But some of the lyrics, and I think the basic tone of the song is just supposed to be, you know, people are trying to make you into something that you're not. But some of the lyrics are, I mean, I don't even like singing. There's this one part where he says, give me a skinny or give me a fat. And I'm like, <laughs> come on. You know, it's just... It just, you know, a little, there were just a couple of moments in the album that I, I kind of step back for a second and I'm like, I don't like that line, you know, there, uh, but for the most part, I just wanted to dig a little deeper into something that people hadn't really listened to. This record is awesome. And I think that it deserves a lot more attention and praise than it ever got. From what I've read, everybody that's like a critic loves it. They just yeah, never caught it feels on. That way. You know? It reminded me a lot of um, Faith No More. And like, I feel like they were such a talented band at the time, yeah. similar time period. And just for some reason, I never caught on commercially. They never really got accepted into like mainstream music, but they're really doing interesting stuff. So yeah, just these couple bands on the fringe at the time and just didn't have that special, maybe that charismatic um, singer to kind of push them into the stardom. I think they, they still are active occasionally and still I think they record recorded somewhat recently, but I was more interested in going back and listening to some of their previous records. Did you go back and listen to anything? No, or? I didn't go back yet. Um, are they similar or? They're more progressive, rocky, um, less hard-edged, gotcha. definitely gotcha. not as heavy. Cool. They seem like talented musicians and like they play together well and yeah, I would check them out. I enjoy every track on the record. I mean, there, I don't, and I even like that uh, Jimi Hendrix cover at the end, Manic Depression. What did you think of yeah, that? Yeah, I thought that was actually really good. There actually, you know, I was, I had listened to a lot the last few days and I just kind of had, had it on and there was times where I was like actually thought for a second there, I was actually listening to the Hendrix version because he, yeah. he sounds a lot like him. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So I'll just run through the tracks really quick. There's a 14 song. It's about an hour long. Dogman opens it. Shoes, which I played a little bit of. Pretend. Flies in blue skies. Black the sky, which is great. And I think we're going to listen to that one. Uh, Fool You is one of my favorites. My friend used to play that one a lot. And it goes on. There's uh, four, or seven more tracks to go, but... Uh, there's some really strong songs in there. Complain, Human Behavior, I think, is excellent. Uh, really like yeah. the, the lyrics on that one. Uh, Go to Hell is a short little, supposed to be a little punk rocker, 51 seconds long. It's interesting. And um, 
Pillow was a really good song too, track 13, before that 14th Manic Depression track. I think that was live. That sounded like it was live. So yeah, I was really happy to find I to remember this. I've listened to it a few times over the years, but to do something awesome for 1994 that uh, isn't my usual, which would be Pearl Jam, STP, Soundgarden, you know, the usual stuff. So let's listen to Black the Sky. And that's got a little funkiness in it too, which I thought I like that influence in there. Doug Pinnock, the the singer, bass player for that song, he um, in an interview I read, he said that at the time all the bands were doing drop D tuning, you know, to like Soundgarden did a lot of that to make their guitars sound yeah heavy, deep, d- heavier, deeper, lower. He said yeah. that he did drop C for this particular song and on some of the songs because he was sick every because they had been doing drop D forever, <laughs> so he went a right. little bit lower. <laughs> so, I thought that was pretty cool too. That's awesome. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, as as an enjoyable listen. You know, if you're looking for a record from that time period that maybe didn't get quite as much attention as it should have, this is an excellent choice. And uh, I kind of look forward to uh, digging into some more of their catalog. Definitely, definitely, definitely. If you like rock, hard rock, funk, and uh, you like to lightly bang your head because you're probably old like me and you don't want to pull anything, definitely King's X Dogman is an album you need to listen to. All right, Andy. It's your turn. What did you pick out of 1994? Some standard, uh, you know, Green Day or something like everybody else? No, no, no. You know, I saw your pick come through and I was like, ah, shit. I got to step my game up a little bit. Got to dig a little deeper. I was going to go actually with the Tori Amos record. Because I really love Tori Amos, especially that record. You know, I I felt like that's probably been talked about enough. So I decided to pick another record that I actually didn't discover in 94. It was much later I came to this one. But I I love it, and I come listen to it a lot now. It's uh, from Sunny Day Real Estate. They put out their debut record entitled Diary. And this record's pretty cool because it's often or widely agreed upon as being the record that defined a genre. Which is always cool. <laughs> I know what you're about to say, and it makes me laugh. Oh, why? Is it, oh, all right, let me say. Let me say what I'm going to say, and then you can tell me why. At the time, there was a lot of punk and hardcore music was fairly popular. Um, you know, you had grunge, obviously, that was kind of in the mainstream, but you still had that underground punk movement, and from that movement came this uh, more like emotive uh, style uh, of the genre. No. <laughs> That would slowly evolve into become what we'd know as emo in the later 90s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but this record is often looked at as being like kind of the first record to, to cross that divide and uh, start that genre. So you, uh, well, you just hate the genre as a whole? No, 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 uh... no, not at all. I just think that the fact that, the, that it is a genre is silly. Like I never <laughs> understood that. And maybe because I was a little bit older and I first heard the term emo and I'm like, what does that even mean? They're like emotional. And I said, isn't all music, doesn't it have emotion? I don't I don't get the line. I don't understand what makes it not a, just a rock record from the 90s. I don't get it. That's why I laugh because I've never been able to truly distinguish 
<laughs> an well, emo band from uh, any other band. I think it's like in the delivery. It's like a little bit more sappy and over the top, and you're like really burying your chest. You know, you're not, you're not trying to be a tough macho guy. Okay. Like, okay. You, you know, you're you're. It's okay to be a little more vulnerable. I guess is kind of the idea behind this. So, so like, uh, you're telling me that something like uh, Creed is not emo. Even though there's <laughs> songs that are emotional. <laughs> yeah, I would say Creed's pretty emo, actually. <laughs> no, not in a good way. <laughs> but let me go back on the band. So they, they came out of that punk hardcore scene, as I said. And some other band members, the, the rotation changed over the years, but uh, their band members ended up doing some, some cool things in different rock bands. Their bassist on this record, uh, Nate Mendel, now plays in the Foo Fighters. And the drummer, William Goldsmith, um, played on two of the earlier Foo Fighter records, as well as been an integral part of uh, Mike Watt and his touring band. Yeah, this early incarnation of the band was was pretty talented. The vocalist, Jeremy Ingick, he's got on to do some of his solo work after the after the Sunny Day broke up. Um, it was also fairly popular. Um, so the band, they kind of just jumped on the scene. You know, MTV was so relevant in the mid-90s, and they, they debuted on that show, 120 Minutes. Remember that show? Of course. It was like a lot of live performances, a lot of new artists, kind of groundbreaking type stuff. They debuted their song In Circles on that show, and it really just took off almost immediately. You could tell there was like this segment of the uh, music-loving audience that was just waiting for something like this to, to come about. Um, so let's play a little bit of In Circles and kind of feel that excitement. Yeah, so not like your typical emo music would end up, you know, like in 1999. Still has a lot of the elements of punk and some some cool instrumentation going on too. But what uh, what do you think about this, these guys in general? I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I was aware of their existence. I never really, I think I might have heard this record once before in the past, but it never clicked with me and it was fun to listen to it. And it's it's good. It sounds like a quality 90s rock band and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like the the emo thing is I guess I can see it with some of the some of the songs the vocals are emo y, but like that song for instance just sounds like something that would have been on 120 minutes. So uh it's good. I, I enjoyed it and 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 I appreciate that you went and took the time to try and throw something in my face that I wasn't gonna go, Oh yeah, I've listened a hundred times because I'm <laughs> older than you. <laughs> I know everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's one of those records that I think stands up in terms of its significance, you know, it's fairly groundbreaking. But as a whole, maybe it's not A-plus all the way through. There's moments on here that are a little less than stellar, and sometimes you can there's some missteps, and maybe it's a little repetitive at times. But um, I think as a whole, it's still a really, a really enjoyable record. It's probably my favorite of theirs. They did go on to put out some good music later on. Their, uh, I think it was 1999 record, How It Feels to Be Something On, is also really good. If, if you haven't heard that, I would recommend it. You know, in addition to that, the emo vocal delivery, they kind of really dialed in or fine-tuned that uh, loud, soft dynamic, you know? Like, they could be soft and emotive and, you know, stripped down and then 
really come in heavy and with a, in a nice big chorus to kind of get you pumping your fist in the air. So this this was this has been on your personal playlist for a while because when I was looking for 1994 good records and researching, this came up. On list after list. So you've been, this is not new for you? No, I think I discovered them. They put out, they got back together. So they broke up in like the early 2000s, I want to say. Yeah, they got back together in 2000 and put out a record called The Rising Tide, which uh, showed up on my radar at the time. So I, I enjoyed that. It's a little different. It's not quite as exciting, not quite as adventurous. But then I dug back in at that time to their first three records, and Diary was a part of that. And so when I got into it then, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. A few of the songs in particular really stood out, and we're going to play one or more of those right now. This is uh, track 11. It's called Sometimes, and it really plays off that loud, soft dynamic that they, they really perfected. I love how like rough that sounds. Still, I mean, it's not perfectly polished by any means. It's yeah. I know. I remember there. I watched an interview with them, and they were saying that they <laughs> that, that how their guitars go out of tune two or three times per song. They play them so hard and aggressively, and it, it, it comes across in the recording here for sure. Yeah, that production. I like that very much. Uh, completely opposite of the King's X record, which. Is probably one of the cleanest productions I've ever heard, and this definitely is much got more sawdust in there, you know. Yeah, yeah, weird, totally. Yeah, so I, mean, I really, really love that record, man. It feels like it was they tapped into something that was really important culturally at that time, and I think it's still still a worthy listen going back to uh, even almost twenty five years later now. Yeah, it holds up for sure, uh, and I will I will be playing some of their other records as a result so thank you andy for once again opening my mind and my eyes yeah and my heart. you too man i think we got two really good picks here you know some worthy music that may was, wasn't quite as popular back in the 90s so if you were growing up then and maybe you weren't digging deep into the record crates uh these are might be two you circle back on and, and uh, faux show yeah man so that's that that's 1994 in the can sure enough so what's next for the Album Nerds podcast, Andy? Next week is December here, and we're going to be uh, using that month to to look back on some, some things you've enjoyed from the rest of the year. And as a part of that, we're going to be uh, wrapping up our essential uh, jazz, blues, and country project we've been doing this year. So we're going to uh, look back on that and highlight some of the things you listened to and talk about how that's been uh, influencing our music uh, listening going forward. So that should be uh, a fun listen. We'll also talk about what we're going to be doing next year in 20, uh, 2018 and what the essential projects will be then. Can't wait to find out. Oh, yeah. It's a secret. <laughs> you know what isn't a secret, Andy? What's that, buddy? Where you can listen to the Album Nerds podcast, you can go to albumnerds.com, you can go to Google Play Music podcast section, you can go to the iTunes, and you can also go to Stitcher Radio. Did you know that? I did, but thanks for telling me. How can the fine folks get in touch with us, Andy? Well, they should probably look us up on Twitter at Album Nerds or on Simple Music Discovery app at the same, or now 
on Instagram. We'll be posting some some photos of records and some stuff we've been listening to up there. Follow us at Album Nerds. We'd love to talk to you and hear what you're listening to. He's right. We would. All right, people. That's enough of this nonsense. Have yourselves a wonderful week, and we'll catch you next time on the Album Nerds Podcast. Peace. See you next time. Thanks for listening.